producing today's show, you out there, as uh, we got a lot to dive into. The guys were talking a lot of Sixers before us today. We might get back into some Sixers stuff later on in the show. We got a lot of football, a lot of NFL, a lot of Eagles, some Bryce Harper, some Elton Brand. We're going to mix it all in. Jason Fitz has an interesting question he was talking about on his show this week. We're going to ask him about that. Coming up at 3 o'clock, Keith Smith will talk NBA with us as we will dive into what's the latest on when they might start, if at all, in the near future. That's all coming up today on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. And we take you until 6 o'clock tonight, getting you ready for, well, no sports, no live sports. But what I did see today, what I did see today, Hunter Brody was a former Philly hit a home run off a former Philly. How poetic is that for your Wednesday? I guess he can't hear me. I guess he can't hear me. Can you hear me? I do hear you. I hear you fine. okay, cool. Yep, I hear you fine. I can hear you, like, muffling around back there. That's how I knew that you were there, because I can hear you making some sort of noise. But I can't see you. I've called you four times over there. You're not answering. I'm trying to, but we are having some technical difficulties, so we might need to switch from our other chat to a different video chat. Gotcha. All right. Well, that's live radio. That's happening right now. So did you see the former Philly hit a homer off the former Philly? Can you at least uh, dive in on that? Yeah, I saw it. It was all right. It did look smooth, though. It was a nice-looking swing. It's a shame that didn't work out in, you know, the Philadelphia Phillies organization. Right. Aaron Altair hit a bomb off of Ben Lively today. And I mean, I'm talking moonshot. You can check out the video on our website, 973ESPN.com. This thing is still going. I mean, it was a massive bomb. Now, I don't know what the dimensions of the uh, the Dino's ballpark was down there. I think that's where they were playing. But that thing is, woo. And you're right. You know, the Aaron Altair swing. You know, I didn't remember that Altair had this unbelievable, I don't want to say unbelievable, but he had a really, really good 2017 with the Phillies. He hit like 19 homers, had like almost 70 RBI, hit like 280. I mean, they really thought that they found like this diamond in the rough when they got him, right? I, I mean, I totally forgot about that whole thing with him. Yeah, no, it, he reminds me of Nick Williams, just the opposite side of the plate. You know, Nick Williams had some moments where he hit some dingers, but both of these players, they don't have it. Um, No, they don't have it. Um, Altair was never really supposed to be much. I think they just kind of found him and got lucky with him, whereas Williams was kind of regarded as something. He was, like, supposed to be a prospect. He was supposed to be... Um, you know, a half-decent player, right? I mean, he was supposed to be a guy, when they got him in the Cole Hamels deal, that he was one of the gems of that whole thing. Yeah, I guess expectations definitely change a lot when it comes to these players. So you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. I don't know, though, if... <laughs> it's just I, I can't believe we're sitting here processing a nice, beautiful home run by Aaron Altair in the Korean Baseball League. That's where we're at. Well, yeah, some of it has to do with the fact that uh, we can't see each other right now. That's one. Number two, uh, yes, I wasn't directing to go that way, but I couldn't see you or talk to you at the beginning of the show. So it was kind of, uh, you know, kind of taking us down a road that we weren't really planning well, to go do, where down for. Where do you want to go from here? I'm, I'm ready. Where well, do you want to go? I, well, you're not. 
well, I can't see you still. You sent me a link, but I'm not I'm not on that service to get that link right now. Like I, I can't get over there. All right, know? I'm sending it now. Yeah. This is unbelievable. Yeah, really unbelievable. Like, um, <laughs> so we were talking before the show today. Um, let me bring the rundown back up because I switched out of so many different email servers to to try to get to different places. All right, so now that the free agency. And the draft are over. I was reading an article today, ESPN.com article, that basically said, you know, what holes each team has to fill after free agency and after the draft, okay? And I think if we look at the Eagles, we would say they have more than just one hole to fill. Some of that is because, as you would say, they didn't take a linebacker or they didn't take a position player in round number two and that they could have potentially have filled one of those holes. But the point is they have a lot more holes than just that when it comes to adding talent through the draft. They have more holes that they still need to fill. What would you say is still one thing in this offseason that Howie Roseman needs to address? Well, I, I, the answer is linebacker, but they just don't value the linebacker like that. So, I mean, if you're going to ask me right now, this very se- – there's, I guess there's really two. Well, that's allowed I, to be your answer. You could say you think linebacker is the hole that they need to fix. Well, here's the thing. I, I know their cornerback situation is a little funky because they're, they're going to have to utilize Avante Maddox on the other side of Slay because they have so many slot cornerbacks with LeBlanc and Roby Coleman, and Avante Maddox is a slot guy as well. I, I would like to have more of a better option on that outside opposite of Slay. Is that more valuable than a linebacker? Well, hold on, hold on, maybe? hold on, Mr. Hypocrite. You drafted a guy in the second round a couple of a second round pick. You have one of those guys on your roster. You didn't even mention him. You've completely discounted this amazing second round pick that they took a couple of years ago. No, I did not. Well, you didn't mention him. You didn't mention him with this group of other talented players. You mentioned Roby Coleman. You mentioned Avanti Maddox. You mentioned Cravon LeBlanc. All those guys I would assume were either undrafted, but they all got mentioned ahead of this prize second round pick that everybody values so much okay now let me get my point in the options are there the players are there it's on the front office then to hit on the right guys but the players are there in the second round i can't control if they take the right player or not but to knock the fact that the talent is there to change the game it is there so whether they hit the right guy or not, that's on them. But to say that the second-round talent isn't available on the board, that's not fair. Oh, I'm not saying that it's not available on the board. I'm just I'm just not making the assumption that they missed on a talent. I'm saying it from the other angle was that they landed a talent. But they also have plenty of – you're right. They did not hit on Sidney Jones. But do we have to go down the path on who they did hit on in the second round that changed this franchise? Which, by the way, I have not given up on Sidney Jones just yet. I think that he has had a lot of injury problems. Now, you could say that he will never be the player. But I think he will start opposite Slay this year. I think he's going to get the first shot, and it's going to be Slay and Jones. And then if Jones can't play this year, that will be the last we see of him. But I think he is going to get the last opportunity in his contract because they 
did stick their neck out there in the second round to go take a guy who had a torn Achilles. He missed an entire year because of that, and they stuck with it knowing that they were going to miss out on this guy for a full year. And people bitched and moaned, you can get help in the second round. And then they won a Super Bowl and said, ah, here's my middle finger. How how do you like that second-round pick? They don't help you right off the bat most times. So now I think Jones, because he was a second-round pick and because of the way they drafted him when he was hurt and he sat out, I think they're going to give him one more shot to win that role. He might, they might. They might. Absolutely. They will go down that path. I know it's between probably him and Avante Maddox. But let's go back to you saying they won the Super Bowl without the second-round pick of Sidney Jones. Did they win with Zach Ertz? Did they win with Dallas Goddard? They won with players who were drafted in the second round as well. So you can't just use that against them that, well, they won without a second-round pick that year. Correct, that year. But if you look at who they hit on in the second round, those players helped win the Super Bowl. Yeah, but they were also part of the team that was 7-9 and nine the year before, and nobody thought was a Super Bowl contender. So that when they drafted a player in the second round, when people said, They have all these holes. They have all these holes. How do you take an injured player in the second round? That guy didn't help the team when they had the holes from the year before. That's my point. Yes, second-round picks could help you win potentially a Super Bowl or some playoff games or get you to where you want to be. But that wasn't. don't act like they were 11-5 and with these guys and then they had a second-round pick that was there. They took a second-round pick in a year when they were 7-9, and and people were bemoaning the fact that they had so many holes. How could you take a player that you know was not going to help? And that goes to my point yesterday. They don't care about the next season. They look at the big picture when they draft, and fans do not. Fans look at 2020. They don't look at 2023. It's the job of the GM to look at 2023 and 2024 but the problem is we only judge them on how that player is going to impact 2020. Now, I think you're being a hypocrite because you're looking at just the next year with Sidney Jones as a factor. Well, I'm looking at I'm looking at what Zach Ertz has done throughout his entire career as a second-round pick. I'm looking at what Dallas Goddard has done throughout his career as a second-round pick and not just the year after, while right now you are utilizing just the year after to defend your point with Sidney Jones. Well, and look, Sidney Jones is still on the roster, and he hasn't helped at all. So you can take the year after out. He was healthy the next year and the next year and the next year after that. And the problem but was – defending my point, though, of the, the opportunity to land a Goddard and an Ertz. I'm not passing up on that opportunity. There's an opportunity to miss, yes, but I am worried about the opportunity, not the hindsight of what happened afterwards, the chance in the moment to land but that you're, But you're only looking at one side of the opportunity. I'm acknowledging your side of the opportunity. Yes, they could have got a player that may have helped them out. But I'm also acknowledging that the player that they got could also help them out. That's the problem. Of people on the other side are saying they took a player that is only an insurance policy. No, that's not the case. They didn't take an insurance policy. They took a player that they value more so than a linebacker or a safety or a corner. Because guess what? Most of the time, those guys don't help you out. And this situation, people are just saying, and I said this yesterday, If they took a player who holds a clipboard and doesn't play at all, then they probably made a bad pick. I don't see it that way. People are judging a pick based on their theory of how they're going to use this guy as a quote-unquote backup quarterback. If that's how they use him, they messed up. 
If they use him in other avenues, they made a fine pick and utilized a player that most teams do not have at their disposal. And that's where this goes back full circle to what we talked about yesterday. You value the eight snaps more than you value what could be in a player who plays way more percentage of snaps. But the percentage of the snaps thing, it goes out the window again if he plays 100% of the snaps but doesn't do anything. You can only do so much in a game. Those well, eight... I disagree. Him being, if you're going to say Jalen Hurts just being out there is a disguise, well, Jalen Rager just being out there with speed, for example, even if he's not catching the ball, opens up Hurts under the middle, opens up other players under the middle. So them just being out there, sure, if his coverage was so good, which the other quarterback doesn't throw the football to that receiver because that receiver, that cornerback played so well on that play, statistically, you won't look at that and say, well, look at the impact he made. I don't understand how people are devaluing a guy I'm potentially playing eight to ten snaps and then seeing that it could I'm be comparing it though. But it could I'm be one of those eight to be. but it could be one of those eight to ten plays that changes the entire game and the other, let's say fifth, let's just throw a hundred. Let's say they play a hundred snaps, which is a lot. They wouldn't play a hundred. Let's use a round number. And that he played 8 to 10 of those 100, and 90 of the plays, nothing happened. But the 8 to 10 that he played twice, something happened. You don't value those 8 to 10 plays when the two things in the whole game, when a team scores 10 points in a game, which the Eagles did in the playoffs last year. Zach Kurtz was on the field for almost every snap. Guess what? Not many of them were very productive. But if you threw a guy out there for two of those snaps and one of them something big happened, you wouldn't value that one snap more than the 100% of the snaps that Ertz played and did nothing? Of course you would. In a microwave, that sounds great. That sounds very, very logical. But, but that's but that's what happens with these type of players is that they get small exposure. It's like Aaron Altair. In 2017, he had very small exposure, and he did very well. But when you gave him more exposures, teams started to figure out what to do with him. And he wasn't very good. Now, that wrist injury he had, I think, had a lot to do with it. But that being said, that's where these guys are utilized in small doses. But the small doses equals big problems when the other team says, I don't know when this guy's coming out. I don't know how they're using him. And I don't know what to do with him when he's out there. Yes, but here's the alternative. You might not need to even be in that specific situation to have that one play if the player you drafted has that much of an impact. If you get another Zach Ertz type player and he scores two touchdowns in that 100% of the snaps, you don't need that one game-changing gadget play because that impact player made the plays earlier. That's great, but they had last year a game in the playoffs where they had all these great second-round picks. One, one, one opportunity. Yes, you can go down and point out spots here and there, just like I can go out and say, look, they didn't need it there, they didn't need it here, they didn't need it here. You can name spots where it will work, absolutely. This is when it comes down to percentage, percentage. Well, guess what? I have seen them play a lot of playoff games where they can't score. And they've got a lot of these second-round picks on the field. So all of these possibilities, when it comes to the playoffs, it all gets shrunk and magnified. It all gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So when you have that X factor on your team that the other team does not, I don't understand how people don't look at that as a much more valuable weapon than just sticking another 
random second round wide receiver out there or a second because round you win with them those are that's what you need first you need the completed roster and let's be real the saints haven't won a damn thing with Taysom hill they, what have they won they haven't won anything they got blown out last year at home i mean come on let's not act like they go to the super bowl every year because of hill no, but a lot of the teams, and I'm not just counting Hill. I'm talking about, I don't look at Hill as the one guy. I look at a Tyreek Hill and those type of players as, I don't want to say gadget players, but X-factor players, where they do more than just the traditional role of their position suggests. So when Tyreek Hill's on the field, that guy does jet sweeps. He does end arounds. He does bubble screens. He goes down the field. He does so many different things that the other team on defense can't account for. The Eagles don't have that type of guy on their team where you're like, all right, where's this guy? I got to find this guy. Zach Ertz, Sal Powell was on the show and said, I remember in the 2017 season when he talked about when the Eagles, uh, 2018 season, when their offense was struggling a little bit. And he said, look, when your best offensive weapon is also your tight end, you don't have a lot of room for explosion. There's just, you know, he's very good, but that's all you are. You're just an underneath kind of get down the field. They don't have that explosive player. They don't have that X factor player. Jalen Hurts is that? With all due respect, Jalen Hurts is not even close to Tyreek Hill. Oh, I'm not saying he's a, I'm not talking about his skill set being the same as Tyreek Hill. I'm saying that when he's on the field, that the other team will have to now figure out where he is, what we're going to do to account for him, how are the Eagles going to use him, what are they going to do with him, how are they going to get him the ball, what is he going to do with the ball, is he even going to get the ball. You see how he now adds so many elements to what the defense has to look out for that they currently and previously did not have? Yes, but how can you... <laughs> Compared to what could be if they properly hit on the right spot, I don't know how you can say that that means more than a player who plays way more when it comes to snaps. Because if you watch a game, you're talking about the snaps. Most snaps in the course of a game, nothing happens. There's only a very small percentage of snaps in a game where something actually okay, occurs. Okay, well you're also now knocking down, if those eight eight snaps, if you're saying that the, the minimum, like then one snap might be it compared to, yeah. let's use the person. Okay, and then let's use the percentage of someone who plays 80% of the snaps. Now he, he can make nine impact plays. So now the percentage is different and you're getting more. No, but the there's such player. a, there's a bigger sample size of things happening in the game that don't happen. Like, most teams, again, I'll explain that most teams are very equal on the field. Like, the talent level is not all that different. Right? No, I don't necessarily agree with that. Well, I mean, the difference between a team that went 7-9 and nine and 10-6 and six is not all that different. But, okay, in terms of, like, on paper, talent-wise, you might be right. But there's something psychologically that's going on yeah. with the team. With more you know what psychologically is different is that team here has a player that we, we don't have on our then team. how come the Saints don't win Super Bowls every year with this elite gadget guy they have? He's been on the team for, what, two or three years? Okay, that's a step. You're giving me the window of Jalen Hurts, you don't, and that's the three-year, three four-year. They haven't done a damn thing. Well, you're in that – now you sound like the illogical fan that if you don't win what? the Super Bowl – that your season was a failure. The team okay. was 13 if, and three. If Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz have a home playoff game like the Saints did last year after the type of year they had and lose to the Vikings, that is unsuccessful as hell. 
Okay, maybe Come the on. maybe the result is unsuccessful as a as an idiot would say, but Come on. you're telling me Come that on. you're telling me that 13 and 3 is an unsuccessful season because they got I up I say if you are 13 and 3, you have a home playoff game and get blown out by the Vikings at home. What blown out whatever. Lose like that at home. Yes, unsuccessful. You're, yes. So you're telling me if you went 13 and 3 and you got up at home and you get Yes, you lose at home and that's upsetting. It's disappointing. But it doesn't mean that they're 13 and 3 team. It means that there uh, was an upsetting was a was a was a disappointing season. They went 13 and 3. By the way, they were 13 and 3 this year, 13 and 3 the year before. So and they got the screwed out on that uh, on that terrible pass interference call. So you're telling me that over a two year span, you went 26 and six. You would say that's a disappointing organization. I'm saying last year was. I'm saying last season was extremely disappointing. Well, extremely disappointing. The way the season that, ended. The way the season ended. Yes, I would agree. Is extremely disappointed. But you yes, can't tell me that if you went 13 and three. And got to thirteen and three multiple seasons. That you're telling me that that's a disappointment. I'm telling you, last season, if the Eagles went thirteen and three, lost at home in a playoff game to the Vikings, that would be an unsuccessful season. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with that. But how did you they did, get? Though. How did they get? No, I didn't. I said the season itself, thirteen and three. You can't say it's disappointing. The loss in the playoffs, I would agree. It's a disappointing loss, but you can't discount that they went thirteen and three two straight years. And how did they? There was a player. Yeah, they they have a Hall of Fame quarterback. That's how they do this. All right, it's not Hill. I'm not saying. Believe me, I'm not saying that Hill. But guess what? The Saints have validated my point by giving Hill twenty million dollars. Why are they right? Why are they automatically? Right I'm not. For doing this? I'm not saying that they're automatically right, but they certainly valued a guy who barely touches the ball in a way that they said, we cannot let this guy get off of our team because he was a major reason why we went 26-6. and six. I don't know. How many years has he been in the league, Hill? Three or four? I'm not sure. But th this is the moral of the story. He was drafted in – I don't even think he was drafted, by the way. He was – no, he was undrafted. He was That's the in point. And he plays the... special teams. He does a lot more than just I'm not comparing I'm offense. not comparing Hill to Hertz in terms of what they're going to do. I'm not saying that because Hill plays special teams that Hertz is going to play special teams. It's about adding another dimension to your offense that you don't have. Giving somebody on the defense something else to think about that this guy is here and I don't know what they're going to do with him. Are they going to pitch him the ball and he's going to throw it? Are they going to hand him the ball? Are they going to snap it to him? Are they going to hand it to him on a jet sweep? The Eagles don't have a player where you're like, I don't really know what this guy's going to do. Most of the guys, almost every guy on that roster, when they're lined up out there, you pretty much know what their role is. Now they finally have a guy where you're like, I'm not so sure what this guy's going to do on offense. And that's exactly what Hill's role is. It's not that they both play special teams or they both do this or they both do that. It's more the mental aspect of that guy's on the field, and I don't know what they're going to do because he's out there. I don't know where to do. I don't know where to line up. I don't know where he's going. That's the part of it that is a added dimension to it on, to your roster. Yes, I get that. Comparing it and to I, what? And I value that. I value sure. that. That's what I'm I saying. Value that I value well. 
I, I value, value that. that over a non-completed roster. They don't have a proper outside corner right now other than Slay. They don't have a linebacker. They can use defensive end help. They have other holes that I value more than that. So he was, by the way, he was taken, picked up in 2017. Now, his first year with the Saints, he didn't do anything. He played five games, had no touches at all. Uh, and then in 2018, so the two years that he has been a part of the team, they've been 13-3 and three both years. Okay, and I don't think that's because of him. Does he help? Sure. But you can take him off that team, and they're still winning 13 All games. I'm saying is, I'm not saying it's because of him. I'm certainly not putting that in. I'm not giving him all that credit to say if it's it's the one. He's the one guy as the reason. What I'm saying is they valued him enough to give him $20 million. That's all. Right. So they're a team that has been 13-3, and three, two straight years, and they said, we cannot let this guy walk. That's how much we value him. We got to sign this guy. And we're going to give him $20 million. To me, that sounds like a guy who's pretty valuable to somebody. Okay, I, call so me crazy. Call me crazy. But to give Daniel. a guy, wait, call me crazy to give a guy who touched the ball 46 times last year $20 million. I think they value those short amount of plays that you're discounting. I'm not discounting it. I am comparing it to someone who's on the field more. I like what he brings to the table. I am comparing it to who plays more. Now, Chase Daniel was signed for how much money here? So because the Eagles did that, other teams go, well, the Eagles valued him, so let me value him. Just because the Saints made that proper offer in their eyes, it doesn't mean that that's how it is around the league and that's how it should be because they did it. Guess what? It's starting to grow that way around the league and you're going to start seeing it and then you're going to say, damn, there's a lot of teams doing this because they're all going to start valuing having a much better player at that position. As long as they have a more completed roster, I'm ready for it. Uh, we'll get into how completed the roster is because I think you're discounting how this roster is much like a lot of people out there. I feel like this is very 2016 to 2017. People had the same thing, the same conversation. They needed more. They had so many holes. And guess what? They were all wrong, just like you're wrong right now. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. These are challenging times, and Rocket Mortgage is prepared to help. If you need mortgage assistance, contact their 24-7 online team at rocketmortgage.com for from their home to yours, the team at Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way. Mike and Hunter, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Jason Fitz joins us at 3. We have an interesting conversation with him coming up. Stick around. Plus, Sports Pass Cash, another chance for you to score 1,000. ESPN, Mike and Broads, at Mike Gill Show on Twitter, at Broads81. Uh, one thing somebody wanted to text in is to remind you that Dallas Goddard was not on the Super Bowl team, so they did not win a Super Bowl with or because of Dallas Goddard, just to throw that okay. out there. That's fine. That doesn't mean he doesn't help this football team significantly based off the amount of snaps he gets. Sure. I mean, he plays yes. like 60% of the snaps. Correct, but they want to play 12 personnel, and it adds value. They don't to want to team. play 12 personnel. Yes, they We've already been and down this road. Let's talk to McMullen. McMullen agreed with me. They wanted no, to do it. No, no. He said they, ha they play 12 personnel based on the – on the personnel that they have. That's not their choice to play 12 sure personnel. They, went they up play and 12 it. personnel because of... So let, me, let me ask you this. Why, why, would they, why are they drafting Jalen Hurts? Because they want to use a gadget guy. Yeah. Why would they draft Dallas Goddard? Because they want to go 12 personnel. No. 
They drafted Dallas Goddard for the. They drafted Dallas Goddard for the same reason. They draft, like I said the other day. They didn't need another tight end. They did. They, they were, don't need a Jalen Hurts. They didn't. Need, but they wanted to add another weapon to their offense, not because they wanted to play twelve personnel, but because they sure. just wanted to have another weapon on their offense. No, I'm, we're going to ask McMullen. You you don't go up. We've already had the conversation with McMullen. We can replay the interview we had with him a month ago. He said it exactly. They don't want to play twelve personnel. They do it because of the fact that their receivers were all. They weren't playing twelve personnel nearly as much before the receivers got hurt. When the receivers got hurt, what did they do? They had to start playing twelve personnel because they didn't have anybody else out on the field. That was apparent. I can't disagree anymore. You go up and you you don't just say, "Oh well, let's just pick him." No, they want to go with 12 personnel because they statistically and analytically think that it helps them win football games so that's why they do it so why didn't they use 12 personnel when they drafted goddard why didn't they use 12 personnel before they had goddard well because analytically you're this is now becoming a league where the tight end is way more useful than it ever was before that is true well, that wait, is fact. hold on a second. just like jalen hurts is getting picked more but they had goddard on the team for two seasons before this and they had Burton and Selleck before that. They didn't play 12 personnel when they had other tight ends on the team. They didn't play 12 personnel when they had Goddard on the team. It wasn't until last year when everybody started to get hurt when all of a sudden, miraculously, they decided, hey, you know what's a good idea? We should probably start playing more 12 personnel. There's no way that they ran zero 12 personnel sets not since zero, Goddard's been here. Not zero. Obviously, they've had, but his snap counts his first year about 40%. And, and then just last like year, anybody coming in in a rookie year. And then, let, come on, not really. Zach Ertz, how many percentage of the plays did he play when he was a rookie, when he was the second-round pick? Probably not 40. Okay, but that's different. Did they have a Zach Ertz already on the team at the time? Yeah, they had Selleck here. I mean, Selleck at that's that. That's not the same. Selleck was a pretty good pass-catching tight end. He's not the same as Ertz. But, yes, like they had – they had the ability to play more 12 personnel. They they chose not to. They chose to play more 12 personnel once Alshon got hurt, once Deshaun Jackson got hurt, once they really got to the point where, look, we got to get our best weapons on the field, so we got to start playing more 12 personnel. I think that they went out and drafted Dallas Goddard knowing they wanted to play 12 personnel sets. Well, then if that's the case, then you would think that his snap counts would be more than like 60. He's only on the field like 60% of the time. So if they want to play 12 personnel and that's what they want to stress, you would think he'd be out in the field 80% of 85% of the time. According to you, 60% is insane because it only takes one play and they'll value eight snaps. So if you're valuing eight snaps at Jalen Hurts, 60% of snaps with Dallas Goddard is a huge amount of snaps. Yeah, but you're now convoluting their skill sets and what they offer. Dallas Goddard offers a pretty known quantity of what he's going to do. So in those 60% of the snaps, I pretty much have a good idea of what he's going to do. I kind of know what kind of patterns he's going to run. I kind of know what his role is in the offense. Somebody else, like a Jalen Hurts, I don't know what his role in the offense is going to be. So those 10% are definitely more of a challenging problem for the D. I don't understand how you're even questioning that. When Dallas Goddard's out in the field, I pretty much know 
what his role is. I see him on tape. I know what he's doing. I see what they run. He's on film, doing it almost every single week. He's That's got a everybody couple... in football. Then it... everybody. What's Deshaun Jackson do? He's going to run straight. You can't stop him. What's yes. Dallas Goddard going to do? Yes. He's going to do his play, and you're going to struggle stopping him. Yes, I've explained this that most people have a role, and that you know what that role is, and then you watch film based on the role that you see. But the Eagles now have a player where. I'm not so sure what that guy's role is. I don't know what he's going to do, where he's going to line up, and if he lines up here, what are they going to use him for? And if he lines up there, what are they going to use him for? He could line up in the same spot and have four or five different things they're going to utilize him for. The difference is, yes, you just really backed yourself right into what I've been saying. No, I did You not. know what Goddard, you know what Jackson, you know what sure. these guys' roles are in the offense, and now you have a player where I'm not so sure what this guy's role is in the offense. No. So you're saying Deshaun Jackson in his prime. Right now he's banged up. Deshaun Jackson in his prime has no value compared to Jalen Hurts because people know what he's going to do? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. That's not not what I'm saying at all. Actually, Jackson's a very good uh, point to what I'm I'm talking about. Jackson is on the field about 100% of the snaps in his prime. There's about four times in a game out of those 100% of the snaps that he really makes a difference. But in those four plays... He makes a monster difference. I disagree. See, you're valuing the four catches that he might have. Now it's just like Jalen Hurts. They don't know what they're going to do. They don't know what they're going to do. So they focus so much on him, it opens up someone else. With Deshaun Jackson's speed, if he doesn't touch the ball or come close to even the football, but it opens up a play for someone else, that impact is more than just the four plays that you're talking about that he catches. 100%. And I said that all about you know them losing Torrey Smith, a guy who really statistically didn't make a big impact, but his speed did make a big impact on the field because – he was only out there about 40% of the time, too, uh, Torrey Smith. Was- so that shows me that Dallas Goddard's 60% in 12 personnel sets is important. If you're telling me Torrey Smith was important, you played 40%. I'm not downplaying the importance of it. I'm saying that you're adding to what you already have and adding a player who now adds something that nobody else on your roster does. Everybody that you have has a role, and it's an important role, and they have good talent. I'm a big fan of Earth. I'm a big fan of Goddard. I think Deshaun Jackson still has some burn left in him for at least one more year. I even think J.J. Ortega-Whiteside can probably help them out. I like what they have now established. I like the pick of Rigger. I am not a hater of that pick, but... Those guys have a role, and that by a certain time of the year, when you play a good defense, people are going to kind of know what those guys' roles are, game plan for them. I now have another player that the other team is not going to be able to game plan for because you don't see what he does all that much. I get that. I don't see how this – we got sidetracked because – the original conversation was Dallas Goddard being picked without them really wanting to go 12 personnel. If that's the case, and we'll dive back into that, then that's a mistake by the front office to draft someone without wanting to even go the way that they drafted him to go. I mean, it would make no sense for this front office to draft a tight end and go, I don't really feel like playing 12 personnel set. They had to have known they wanted to go in that direction or they wouldn't have picked them. This goes back to why they picked hurts is they were looking for the best possible weapons the best options and not only for 2020 for down the road as well so like when Ertz was drafted 2013 he he played 40 percent of the snaps that's not very much but it had a little bit of an impact the next year he went up to 49 percent of the snaps 
Then he was 68, up to 75. So Ertz slowly just kept going up and up and up. As he got more experience, they put more and more on his plate. Same with Goddard. Just because when they first got him, they only played 40% of the snaps, he's starting to go up a little bit more. So, yes, they valued what Goddard could bring as just another weapon to the offense. Not for any potential changing of the offense or wanting to go with a certain well, you way. You have to. You don't draft these players without thinking about Let changing me ask you a question. Offense. Let me ask you this then. If Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey never got hurt last year, okay, you think they were going to play Dallas Goddard 68% of the time? Who was sitting? No, but here's my point. Then this this supports my like percentage of snaps. You right now, and they are valuing a very low percentage of snaps because it only takes one or two plays to make an impact, according to the way you guys think with Jalen Hurts. Even if Goddard is playing 40%, which is going to be significantly different than what Hurts is playing, that's still an obnoxiously large amount that can make impact plays. Yeah, but a lot of those plays, this is where, okay, Okay, I get you know a lot of people don't understand this element of football either, and I'm not saying that you don't. I'm just I haven't brought it up, sure. You know, but this you. is a way that coaches would think. You are using a lot of plays throughout the course of a game as waste plays or setup plays. You're setting stuff up. So Definitely. let's say in the 80 plays that you have, 50 of them might be just we're setting something up for later. We have about 10 to 15 plays in a game that we're really going to try to get something big. So the 40% of the plays that one guy's on the field that you're valuing so much, they're just saying, this guy's out there 40% of the time. He's blocking or he's setting something up or he's a decoy. They're not valuing that play like they are. Now all of a sudden they're saying, look, one of those 15 plays that we're going to take a shot, we want this guy on the field. So let that other guy be out there. He's out there hiding. And then when we put this one guy on, he hasn't been out there at all, but we know he could do five, six, seven different things. Now we really have the defense on their on their uh, on their heels, and it's all about setting up plays and you know wasting play. It's like a waste pitch in baseball. Like just waste this pitch. Hey, just run this ball off the right tackle. We don't want to show much here. Boom. Then we want to set up play action. We want to send this guy down the field. We want to show that we keep doing this, doing this, and then boom, hit him over here. A lot of this stuff is a chess match of setting things up to that one opportunity when you feel that they are about to break because we bend it, you bend it, you bend it, you, and then that's when we have a guy that now you don't know what to do with this guy. Yes, that is very true. That is the way this works, but your number percentage is absolutely flawed, in my opinion. The There's no way you're, that you're really, but that changes this argument. You though. really sound it like the argument. you really sound like Joe Banner here with the analytics stuff or the Eagles. Like you are really tied to these percentages. And I'm saying, why not? They are. They are making all of these decisions are all analytical. That's And even Joe Banner was saying himself, yeah. this team, all they do at this point, that's all they do. They are making decisions off of analytics. Well, all of it. I know. And that's what I'm saying. The Hertz pick ties right into that. Sure is that does. they now have a guy, it might be a small percentage, but they value those small percentage of plays more than you do. And they're saying, Correct. when we have those small percentage of chances, we now have a guy that the other team doesn't. And now our small percentage of plays, when we go for it, we have a better shot than you do. Because like I said, they're not going for it 100% of the time. They might be going for it 15 to 20% of the time. And in those 15 to 20% of the times, if that guy's on the field for 8 to 10 of those 15 to 20, 
about 100% of the time, they're hoping to try to do something to score. A lot of numbers there. But I know. I felt like uh, when Big Papa Pump, uh, Scott Steiner, did that. Uh, did you ever see that? Did you ever see that promo that he uh, ripped off? One, I got to play that when we come back. There's okay. a great now, right promo. Now I'm looking all around, <laughs> thinking of numbers. My face is zooming in. I'm like, what's going There's on There's a here? great promo that uh, Scott Steiner, I don't even know what federation he was in. I, I think he was like in some side federation, and he was talking about how genetically freak he was, and that gave him a 75% chance of beating this guy. I, I got to play it. it, it it's, it's outstanding. I'm sure it is. I just, I'll never agree with you on this. I'm glad that you won't. I know. If I had your agreement, I would feel flawed. Oh, well, I, stop it. Stop <laughs> it. I feel bad now how much we actually agree on things. Now I'm starting to question my other thoughts that go on in my life. <laughs> That's not bad. Sports Bash Live. Don't forget, in 15 minutes, I have Sports Bash Cash. Tonight, it's our MGPT Top 5 at 5, our five favorite flyers of all time. Who's your favorite flyer? Of all time, 609-403-0973-609-403-0973. I'll play that big pop pump promo when we come back. He really cut the mean promo with that. The math is just going all over the place. Uh, got a couple text messages I want to hit on as well. 609-403-0973. Mike and Broads. All right, so I found this Scott Steiner. He's like a former... I guess he still wrestles, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I was never a WCW guy. That's where he kind of made his name. You no, probably weren't. WW... I was even a WWF guy back in the day. Yeah, well, he was WCW, which was like the competitor to WWEF back in the day when the Monday Night Wars around. Now he's in a, uh, I don't know if he still wrestles for TNA, which was like a smaller kind of competitor, but, you know, whatever. So Scott Steiner, his nickname is Big Papa Pump. And listen, this is the math promo that he read. I don't know. He did this all off the top of his head. Listen to this. This is crazy. Ready? Listen. See, normally if you go one-on-one with another wrestler, you got a 50-50 chance of winning. But I'm a genetic freak, and I'm not normal. So you got a 25% at best at beating me. And then you add Kurt Angle to the mix, your chances of winning drastically go down. See, the three-way at sacrifice you got a 33 and a third chance of winning. But I, I got a 66 and two-thirds chance of winning because Kurt Angle knows he can't beat me and he's not even going to try. So, Samoa Joe, you take your 33 and a third chance minus my 25% chance and you got an eight and a third chance of winning at sacrifice. But then you take my 75% chance of winning if we used to go one-on-one -on -one, and then add 66 and two-thirds percents. I got a 141 and two-thirds chance of winning at sacrifice. See, Joe, the numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you at sacrifice. There you go. So if you add that all together, he had a 146% chance and two-thirds chance of winning. And that's what my point is. That's, that's what I felt like when you were trying to explain the percentage of plays by the percentage of how many plays they actually tried to actually make a play divided by six, multiplied by four. I'm like, yeah, all right. They drafted Hurts, and I disagree. What more do you want? <laughs> That's a good way to put it. By the way, on the text board, 609-403-0973. Guys, I actually like what the Eagles did with getting more speed at wide receiver with the draft and trade. I think adding Clowney, we'll get to that later on, would make 
uh, that defensive line the best in the league and could hide some weak spots, the linebacker or defensive backs. Uh, by a clowning signing, I would think the Birds would compete with the Niners or the Saints. So we didn't really touch on the clowny stuff all that much yet, but I don't know. Do you get excited about a report that says the Eagles are in or are one of the teams that are interested in clowny? I feel like the Eagles are just always listed there because Howie Roseman always picks up the phone and makes the call. But does that excite you? No, but yes, I, I, I think that there is something to it just because it's the nature of the position. If this was another position, I probably wouldn't feel the same way. But because I understand that they do need defensive end help and maybe because he's not getting the offers that he thought he would, that they can snag him. But if you look at his numbers statistically, it, it's not it's a bigger name than it is production. I would agree that his name supersedes his production, but a lot of that has to do, don't you think, with his injury history? Sure, and then we can ask the question, does he love to play? Can he stay healthy? Well, guess can what? He, run? he made the biggest play in the game last year, for the most part, when he knocked out Wentz. I mean, that was pretty much the game changer, and um, he was playing that game not 100%. Look, would Clowney, first off, he wouldn't be on the field all the time. I guess he would be in some sort of a rotation, you would think, with Derek Barnett, Brandon Graham. So he would kind of add to some of the depth that you have, not just asking him to come in and play every single snap, every single down, I, I would think anyway. This Correct. goes back now, to Derek not Barnett. needing to have that many snaps to have an impact. Ah, Derek Barnett, 25 solo tacker, tackles, six and a half sacks, two forced fumbles. Clowney, three sacks. 21 solos, four forced fumbles. Now, I'm on the record saying I'm not even a big Derek Barnett fan. And these numbers are somewhat similar-ish. Somewhat similar-ish to who? Clowney? Clowney and Barnett. Oh, so you're saying they both had a little bit of injury history. I got you. Yeah, like I'm not a big fan of Barnett, and here I am ripping Barnett to an extent, yet I want to be all woohoo about Clowney, whose stats don't pop much more than his. That's interesting. I, I, I didn't uh, realize those. Look, Barnett, I don't know what to think of. He's like he's a your mis- standard guy. He's average a, guy. But he traded up in the first round to get this guy. Right, but that doesn't mean there's not talent in the first round. That means they messed up. That's the difference. That's how we don't see eye to eye on this. No, I get there's talent in the first round and in the second round. I just don't think that you're valuing the talent that they did get in the second round. That's all. I am. That's all. <laughs> it sure doesn't sound like it. Uh, when we come back, Jason Fitz joins us on the other side.